When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like dreaming about our exes, <laughs> separation anxiety, and feelings, facts, and trying to fix things. <laughs> But before we begin, did you like my alliteration? Yes, you're so you're so proud. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. It's cute, yeah. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed in anything, really. Um, no, we are not mental health professionals. We are not relationship advice professionals. Um, yeah. We I mean, just, we are professionals. We do get paid for this, but yeah. like we don't know anything about We're it. We're not like accredited, <laughs> and in fact, like like if you've been listening from the beginning, you know that we often don't even use the right words. <laughs> <laughs> or, yes, or uh, you know, know what those words mean. Um, but this is all to say, please take our advice as you see fit, because we are just here to offer our humble musings, so please shed some understanding. And maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding, but mostly confusing experience that is love. All right. This week, we're going to check in about Sierra because I know you probably all <laughs> didn't notice, but Sierra wasn't here the last couple of weeks. I know that I did so well you in covering. You did so well. Honestly, in that- my notes, I said, <laughs> in my notes, I said, thanks, Sam and Spencer. You guys did so well covering for me in my absence. Um, and uh, the cute cute little jvu trivia i fucking listened i didn't listen to the entire episodes but i listened to sam's uh solo episodes like in for the first 15 minutes of each of them and i listened to spencer and sam's patreon episode last week (laughs) and it was so cute and so comforting to me you guys just did so good um great so thanks for covering for me (laughs) i did get one dm on instagram thanking me for my affirmation and i was like Sierra, watch out. Here I come. I'm going to steal the affirmation oh glory God, from you. I was so worried that you, you were going to say, like, I got one DM being like, you were awful. But maybe that no. was my own self-fucking serving narcissistic <laughs> fantasy playing out. Anyway, I'm so glad. Yeah, you should, uh, you should, we should switch up the script and you can do the affirmation at the end of this episode. <laughs> you just don't, you don't want, you want to get out of that, that burden. Well, I want to use as little brain cells today as possible. Legit. Okay, so to tell everyone, um, if you don't already follow me on my Instagram, or uh, which is just my name, um, or if you don't subscribe to our Patreon, you have no fucking clue what we're talking about. But 
<laughs> just wanted to take a couple minutes on today's episode to explain my absence um, and share some personal uh, grief and hardships that my loved ones and I have been going through lately. Content warning for pregnancy loss. So on March 12th, I was seven weeks pregnant and we went to our very first ultrasound and found out the pregnancy was ectopic, meaning the embryo had implanted in my fallopian tube and not in my uterus. And um, the ultrasound also showed that there was quite a bit of blood pooling in my abdomen. So they sent me via ambulance to the emergency room right away um, in which at which I had Ultimately, I had um, a laparoscopic surgery to, and and a little bit more than that. There was like there was more blood than they anticipated, and my fallopian tube had ultimately ruptured. Um, so they had to remove my whole tube and a liter of blood from my abdomen, um, and they also removed obviously, because it was in my embryo, but no ectopic pregnancy is viable. Um, they have like a one in 600 million chance of surviving mm-hmm. <laughs> outside of mm-hmm. the uterus. And so the embryo was removed as well. Um, and so for the last two weeks or so, I have been at home uh, recovering physically and emotionally. And um, I just, uh, I'm not going to get into it in too much detail because I have already talked about it on my social media, as I said, and in our Patreon episode. And I'm not trying to put like a paywall up above (laughs) me talking about my trauma, (laughs) you know, Um, but I don't I don't I don't want to repeat what I've already said, essentially, number one, for my own um, for my own health and safety. Um, But I do want to talk about it. And I, I do know that I want to be transparent about it. Um, and be able to talk about it in the future on Just Break Up because, mm-hmm. um, as Sam and I have talked about both publicly and privately, we feel very committed to, you know, um, combating any societal stigmas that we have around um, the hard things in life and, um, you know, talking about pregnancy loss, experiencing it, you know, is traumatic and mm-hmm. also the the compounded trauma of a physical emergency surgery and the mm-hmm. um, emotional one of, of losing a pregnancy um, was very and is still very challenging. Um, but I felt even in the ER that day, I felt um, unsure of how I could share this with our audiences. And if I mm-hmm. even should, even in the ER, I felt like the taboo the pressure and the shame and the secrecy around pregnancy loss that, you know, talking about it with you, Sam, on our Patreon episode emboldened me even more that like, this isn't something that I should have to grieve privately. This isn't something Mm -hmm. that anyone should have to grieve privately if they don't want to. Um, And I guess the only thing I want to share on this primary episode explicitly is that if you have experienced something like this um or fuck any anything you know i I wrote on my social media like however whatever shape loss has taken in your life our pain really craves a witness um and Mm. and we the only way to combat the stigma and taboo of pregnancy loss is to be vocal about it and to 
and mm-hmm. to share your pain publicly um, if you consent, if if that's what you want. Um, and and yeah, I, mm-hmm. I I knew very early on that I was going to share this on the podcast, ex- especially because I know like all hard things that you and I have processed on this show, it's going to affect the fucking advice I give. <laughs> yes. you You're going to talk mean? about it a lot. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, you know, cause it changes who you are. Um, but I, and I also just wanted to use my platform, our audience um, to, to reach out to people who have experienced miscarriage or ectopic pregnancies or, or pregnancy loss in whatever form um, and tell you all that you're not alone and that you don't have to suffer in silence just because it's not pretty dinner table topics mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't mean mm-hmm. we don't deserve to have our, our grief heard, I guess um, is what I feel. Um, before we move on into our letters, I do have to, I joked about it earlier, but I have to explicitly thank Sam and Spencer for being just the best friends and, and business owners is that what we (laughs) business partners you know like you guys really flawlessly took over um those those two weeks and also were were there for me emotionally in in more ways than one and i also have to thank our amazing just breakup community for the you know the people who found out via, via our patreon or my social media um the people who were asking after me in our just breakup facebook group um i felt and still feel between those audiences and my family and our our community here very held in the love of community um and yeah i just feel i feel grateful for community and modern medicine and and mm-hmm. and for you and i sam our are the solidarity that we have in our belief that life is hard and will always be hard. And that I feel it sounds fucked up, but I feel comforted in knowing that no matter how hard our life is, you and I will have this understanding that we're not afraid of that, I guess is what I'm saying. Sure. Between our shared losses, you and I have experienced some shitty things in the last couple of years. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that has I think that has the capacity to turn a lot of people off from us. And I always feel like it's a, our friendship has been founded on like making a safe space out of the shittiness of life. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah, I don't think life is shitty, but I do think that this is this loss is a part of life. It's a part of nature, even if it'll never make sense. So, yeah, that's real. Um, well, thank you for saying all of that. And I know that it, I know that like talking about grief is both helpful and awful at the yeah. same time. <laughs> so, like, um, exactly. I just want to like I just want to say that like I appreciate you being willing to do this in a platform yeah. where like lots and lots of people are going to hear you talk about this. Cause it is, it's intimidating and yeah. hard. And, um, uh, my experience with doing this in my own grief has been that the, our community is nothing but loving and wonderful to us and supportive of us. And, um, and I know that they're going to continue to come around yeah. both of us, which is really wonderful. Um, but just want to say that like, 
I know this is really hard, so thank you for for doing this. Not only on this episode, but also on the Patreon episode. Yeah. And like really laying it all out there because I think I think it's really hard. People will people will find solace in it and people just want to know you and and to love you by knowing you too. Yeah. So that's kind appreciate that. And I, I made a joke about it, but I really am not trying to like put that access to that behind a paywall. Um, but like Sam just said, it is both liberating and exhausting to sort of process your grief, process your experience of something traumatic publicly. And so I, if anybody like really needs to hear that episode because they share in this experience yeah. or whatever, please just hit me up. I'm happy to give you access for, to it for free. Um but I also need to protect my own energy and recording that with Sam on Wednesday, whenever we released it felt really good. Um, and I just, uh, yeah, I just want to preserve my energy and, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I'm really grateful for everybody. And I don't mean to be, I don't feel like a downer, (laughs) you know, like I've known this, uh, like before we get into these letters, I mean, like, uh, just reminding everyone that, you know, I have, Sam and I have been processing this shitty life experience for the last two weeks. So, um, and he even offered today, you know, the day we were recording that, like, we didn't have to record if I didn't have the energy or the, the or the right mindset. Um, and I said, no, I, I, I'm ready to be back into life. You know, I'm ready to, to, um, feel normal again. So mm-hmm. please know just because our check-in topic was like, uh, very depressing, <laughs> <laughs> and traumatic doesn't mean um like i i'm ready to i want to move on i want to um sure i want to do something else other than like watch a thousand episodes of whatever shitty show is on netflix <laughs> <laughs> i know when you're talking about. i know we will talk about it later <laughs> tldr bridgerton sucks <laughs> <laughs> made me so fucking angry you can have all the hottest too. sex I felt scenes in the world and never make up for the the shortcomings of those male characters. <laughs> ah, just the worst. Ah, okay. Let's um, get into it. We've just the alienated letters. 50% of our Literally, listeners. you make that joke every time I yell about something. <laughs> so at this point, according to your calculations, our listenership is like 10 people that I haven't alienated by talking about like how much I hate Gilmore Girls and things like that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, Samuel, would you like to mm-hmm. get into some letters? Yes, I would. All right. Our first letter is from Sleepy Jean, who is writing to us from Washington, D.C. Hi, Sam and Sierra. Thank you both so much for everything that you do. I've been binging the show for the last month, and it has had a major change on the way I view my interpersonal relationships with my family, friends, and potential partners. Truly, your show has been such an important discovery for me. I'll try to keep it short because I don't think this is a complicated situation It is just a little confusing. I dated somebody for two years. We moved in together at the beginning of quarantine and things got toxic and painful quickly. And after about 10 months of trying to make it work, we ultimately split up. I moved out and spent a few months mourning the loss of what had been a very important, albeit unhealthy from the start relationship for me. I told so many of my friends that I would not be looking for a relationship or any kind of deep romantic connection until after the pandemic was over, at least. I've spent about 30% of my short 24 years in serious relationships, and I was really looking forward to doing me and having a good time being single or as much of a good time as I could while quarantining in an apartment by myself during COVID. (laughs) 
I didn't quite make it to the end of the pandemic. In early December, I met someone and we had a really strong connection right away. He was so much kinder and gentler and more understanding than my ex ever was with me. We've been taking things pretty slow, but I've really enjoyed getting to know him over the past three months. And I'm hopeful that this could bloom into something more serious over time. He's sweet. He challenges me in ways I haven't been before. He is patient with my anxieties and willing to be as deliberately communicative as I need to feel comfortable. Anxious, <laughs> anxious attachment style and striving for growth. What up? That's me. <laughs> Everything feels good and happy and secure. I really, truly want this to turn into a deeper partnership, which is why I'm so confused at the fact that I still I'm still having regular dreams about my ex reaching out to me and wanting to get back together. Seriously, every night I go to sleep and have at least one dream about getting a call or letter or text from my most recent ex telling me he wants to give it another shot. What's worse, in the reality of my dreams, my new partner is almost always part of my life, and I'm almost always willing to leave him for my ex. In real life, I know that I would never do this. I cannot stress enough how happy and secure I feel. But it makes me feel horrible that, for whatever reason, the part of my brain that makes decisions in dreams would abandon this... (laughs) (laughs) Just the concept of that part of your brain. Yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm imagining, and it's like... 0.05% Point zero five percent of your brain, and but like, it's like that's a really the... like peckish, like yeah. Judy attitudey part of your brain. Brain that's no, like, absolutely. Nope, it's I'm gonna fuck it's with the everything. one that like always plays devil's advocate in conversations. <laughs> like is always just like mm, that actually. makes a lot of sense because like maybe that part of the brain is like bigger in, a, in certain populations than others. You know? Right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, the part of my brain that makes decisions in dreams would abandon this amazing new thing for the comfort of my old unstable and unhealthy relationship it makes me worry that this new partnership isn't as deep as i might initially think it to be or that the progress i've made in wanting and enjoying a healthy relationship where boundaries are heard and respected is the only surface level and that deep down i will only ever be satisfied by the kind of stress and dysfunction i experienced in my previous relationship hashtag so real (laughs) (laughs) yeah right I just want the dreams to stop so that I don't have to spend every morning convincing myself that there is a difference between the things I say I want in my dreams and the things I know in my heart to be true in real life. So I guess I'm wondering a few things. Have either of you ever experienced dreams like this? Do you experience them now as happily married individuals? Is there a way to make them stop? How am I supposed to live with myself knowing that when I go to sleep every night, even on the nights I get to spend with this new person who treats me so well, I dream of getting back together with someone who has made me feel so much pain will it ever go away thanks again you're both a godsend and i would be so excited to get advice on this show all my love sleepy jean mm. oh sleepy jean we love you <laughs> we do love this letter i and love actually, this letter yes go no i just want to say that like we I, we picked this letter because we actually get a lot of letters about people having dreams so i think if it makes you feel better sleepy jean Seems like a lot of people dream about their ex and they don't know why. And they're <laughs> so. feeling like stressed and guilty about it. <laughs> yeah. they're, so you're not alone in that. It is not just you who's having that 0.05% of their brain yeah. try and like really fuck up their psyche. Yeah, for... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do do you, you relate to this, right? You must. Oh, I do. I don't. I have dreams about doing awful things to Peter all the time. Oh my I mean, God. not all the time, but like. <laughs> Like, at least, like, once a month, I would say, I have a dream where I either, like, I cheat on him or I, like, 
fall in love with this person and then suddenly I'm like, oh shit, I'm married. I'm married. Oh, I have that dream a lot where I'm like, oh cool, I am going to move to the Bahamas with this like stranger. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh wait. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, oh, suddenly like this famous actor is like in my life and it's like, oh my God, yes, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then being like, oh my God, wait, no, I'm married. I'm not supposed to be doing this. <laughs> the famous actor. <laughs> I don't even remember who yeah. it was. Like it was so inconsequential. I I would echo all of those sentiments and add that I have like a rotating playbook of people who mm-hmm. show up as like romantic leads in my dreams. And none oh, of them are my wife, really. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I do dream about her a lot, but um I dreamt about her more when we were apart. <laughs> Um, but I have this like rotating playbook of like people in my life going as far back as like 15 years, like a unrequited Mm -hmm. love from 15 years ago or whatever. And I think that's just like our subconscious brain's way of being like, uh, we're not as evolved as we think we are, (laughs) you know, like the, the book I suggested, like 30, it feels like 38,000 episodes ago that my Mm -hmm. wife is reading about our like brain development, um, mm-hmm. And that book basically argued like we we think we're so because of the progress we've made in society um, and in technology and science and yada, yada, yada. And even emotionally, interpersonally, um, because of all that progress, we often forget that we are animals, <laughs> yep. that yep. we are um, creatures of thousands of years of evolution and that we can't just shake off some of that stuff so easily, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And that, and that we think we're so in control of our emotions and our decisions and our subconscious, for example, um, when we're not, we're just like a series of connecting neurons. Is that scientifically? (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, no. And I think I love that you talked about science because I was, I was going to be like, also want to be clear that we are like hitting the edge of uh, like we don't know anything yeah, right no, like i don't know, know anything about dreams like i, know I don't nothing. like <laughs> like i don't know the psychology of dreams like i don't know like the science of dreams and so like if you want to know more about those things <laughs> you should go find them elsewhere because yeah. like yeah it's not literally i'm not a scientist or like a, <laughs> yeah right um but i'll just say like from my experience or like the way that i think about my dreams um is that it's just like my brain Playing. trying to like yeah work through things that are like it's thinking about or like fantasize not necessarily fantasizing about but sure. like thinking about like the what ifs of or like or just like an um, like a mass of things that they wants to put together all the time and i right. think like i i dream about yes i dream about cheating on peter for sure and also i dream about like flying or i dream about like being a child in an amusement park right like i dream about i dream all the time about being on in airports and not knowing where my gate is oh my god that is a metaphor samuel <laughs> it is for sure and Jesus also Christ, we can we have to like pause the episode to unpack that <laughs> And also, does it mean that I am literally in an airport going like looking for no, it means that you don't no. know what the next stage in your life is? And, sure. I mean, I could. Yeah, sure, I could interpret and the, being in an amusement. Right. Yeah. Being in an amusement park might mean like, I don't know, something else. And like, 
having dreams about my ex or like <laughs> cheating on yeah, right. Cheating on Peter doesn't mean that I am yes. cheating on Peter, that I want to cheat on Peter, that I want to be in an airport. Like it just means that like my brain is like processing through something. That so I'll say that and say like for me at least, like my I I think about my dreams sometimes as like maybe helpful ways to understand like what I'm going through, but mostly it's just gibberish. Yes. And also I want to acknowledge the fact that like and still knowing that the f- way that I feel after those types of dreams is still real, oh right? God, like when so I wake real. up and I'm like, <clears throat> oh my God, I feel so awful, right? Like I feel, I can't believe that I cheated on Peter in my head. Yeah. With, I wasn't controlling any part of my brain. Um, like that feeling is really, really shitty. So like I want to, I don't want to dismiss your anxiety about this and I don't want to dismiss how like how shitty that can feel because it does for sure. But I also just want to remind you too that like, Dreams are what you make of them. So if you're like, wow, this is an interesting thing that I keep dreaming about. I don't think it means anything. It might release some of the power that this dream is having over you. I think that's beautiful. Um, And I was thinking, too, you're right. Like the emotions that we feel when we wake up, those are still we're feeling them. They're they're real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we can start sort of taking the power away from that scenario by recognizing that you know our emotions don't always define us our thoughts can just be thoughts and this mm-hmm. the same can be said for dreams like they can just be you know we can't always control where our brain goes when we're fucking conscious you know <laughs> right like i can't like think about an anxiety attack or or fantasizing about your your partner cheating on you like sometimes our our anxieties mm-hmm. take control and, and we're not in control consciously. Um, the same can be said for our dreams. And Sam is right. When you wake up, you can just, I guess, practice that separation. Practice it. Wake up and think, man, that dream was fucked up. But this is the active present life that I am pursuing, that I'm building. Um, he's right that they can they can make you feel weird, right? They can make you question yourself. Um, but there is a way to take back that power. I think that we give those scenarios. I have like a weird (laughs) comical personal thing that I can add to this. I have had historically guilt and shame about dreaming about having sex with men when I'm in a Mm. partnership with, with a woman, like, you know, being Mm -hmm. married to a woman, I used to feel like when Willow and I were just dating, I used to feel so self-conscious. And I think this is definitely from my like internalized biphobia because like obviously bisexual people don't exist. They're like little sexual fairies that are, <laughs> that, um, you know, can't possibly enjoy multiple genders. Um, sarcasm, of course. But um, I used to feel self-conscious about like dreaming about having sex with, let's just say, genitals like a penis um Mm -hmm. because i thought that that was my subconscious telling me that like i was being inauthentic in my relationship with a woman um and i'm sharing that little tidbit i guess just to like not just normalize dreams that give us anxiety in our conscious waking world but also normalize the weird pressure we put on ourselves when processing our subconscious dreams. Like Mm -hmm. nobody in my life was saying like, you're a fraud. You're not supposed to be with a woman. How dare you dream about having sex with a, with a penis. 
It was mm-hmm. like my subconscious being like, oh my God, what does this mean? I am, <laughs> I'm living a lie. Like, how could I yeah. possibly, you know? And all of a sudden I realized that no matter how fun or fantastical or dick filled my dreams are, I wake up and I still love my life and I still love mm-hmm. my wife and I love our sex and I love her body. And I, and most importantly, yep. I love the the life that we're building together. And I just, I needed to give myself permission to have my subconscious life, my subconscious fantasies, my dreams, whatever. They're not always meant to like match my reality. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they're just, they're it. Like you said, the stress that and the anxiety we might feel after them is real, but like they, they, they only bleed into our conscious waking hours as much as we let them, you know? Yeah. Um, and I had to, I had to just say like, CR, you're reading into this, <laughs> you know, like I mm-hmm. had to, I had to Sam Blackwell myself, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like speak calmly and logically into my erratic brain. Yep. Yep. I love it. Yeah. Um, I also just want to like, just want to acknowledge too that like in this as in everything, <laughs> this is just me and Sierra and our beliefs about dreams and our responses to them, right? And want to create space for the fact that there are people, cultures, understandings of the world that really value dreams and the ways, the things that dreams tell us too. Um, but I will also say that like even in those, very rarely is the dream literal, right? Mm. Like, very rarely is it like, yes, you want to get back with your ex, and that's why you're dreaming about them, right? Like, it is often about sort of the symbols or the layers that help us understand something about ourselves or about our experience that is, like, not necessarily like, yeah, of course, you want to be in airports. That's what it means. Um, So, like, would also like even if you are someone who who you know places value in dreams and sort of the understanding and interpretation of those dreams too right like i would encourage you too to to spend some more time interpreting it beyond just the immediate face value that you're getting from it too right like what are the things that your brain might be telling you um that are related to your ex, but that aren't about how you want to get back together with your ex right so right. like take the next step and maybe that'll be helpful too right um, to say, like, this isn't about my ex, this is about something else that I can work on with my therapist or think about differently, right? And instead of being like, wow, I, this this dream literally means that I want to break up with my my current partner. I totally agree. And I, and I love that reminder because I also, in my notes, said something about, to me, this is a very common manifestation post an unhealthy relationship is that we mm-hmm. relive things and we put yep. our subconsciously put ourselves back into that scenario to, to again, like Sam said, it's not that you want to get back with your ex. It's what can this dream teach me about myself? What mm-hmm. about me is still processing how that relationship affected me, how I interacted in that relationship, what I don't want to carry into my new relationship. Um, I relate strongly to these dreams because I think mm-hmm. like years after my my abusive relationships ended, I was still always consciously and subconsciously thinking like would I done would I have done that differently 
You know, mm-hmm. do I have the, tu- yeah. now that I have the hindsight and the tools, would I be able to employ them? You know? For sure. It's just like amazing to me how much we don't understand about fascinating. If they're, <laughs> like, they are fascinating. Why they do the things they do that it's just like, it's just so wild to me. Um, yeah. And yet how we spend so much time thinking that we know what's happening, right? Like, or well, that's, thinking what, that's that we... why I brought up the penis dreams is because I was like, yeah, for of sure. course my, right. my, my shame, my brain would be like, Oh, what does this mean? <laughs> you know, or like, yeah, right. what's wrong with you that you're hot? You know, like I, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to understand something that we, we don't have a lot of concrete understanding, especially Sam and Absolutely. I not being. Yeah. No, like honestly, dream I'm sure there are scientists who are like, <laughs> what the fuck are these people talking about? <laughs> Um, okay, Sleepy Jean. We so in in summation, these dreams are totally normal. Sierra and I clearly also have them. And they can mean what you want them to mean, basically, yes. right? They don't have to be that they mean that you want to get back with your ex. It can just be it can just be a dream, which is how I would take it. Like, oh, interesting that my brain went there. Yeah. Or it could be speaking to something about about something else. But I don't think it means that you want to get back with your ex. And and I I think if you can have faith in that understanding and and not try and second guess yourself in that, um, it will it will help you just sort of move beyond these dreams. And when they happen, just sort of be like, OK, that happened again. Great. Yeah. I'm going to go about my day now. <laughs> yeah. And I would also urge you in this in this conclusion to to think about, um, you know, sometimes processing and healing and moving on from some unhealthy relationship habits or, you know, unhealthy relationship environments that we found ourselves in. It doesn't just look like finding a healthier relationship. Sometimes it looks Mm -hmm. like really unpacking um, what, what conditions were there that uh, we don't want to see repeated. What, what about us found that unhealthy love so comforting, you know, and, and how can we strengthen and embolden ourselves moving forward um, so we can truly leave that unhealthy relationship in the past? But uh, in the meantime, dream on. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> nice. Nice way to Thanks. end that. Thank you. We love you, Sleepy Jean. Thanks so much for writing. Y'all, as a self-employed person, as a mom of a toddler, I am always struggling with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you have full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. You can see all your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, Rocket Money can help cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month. So I can clearly see my spending habits and check myself if needed. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even help try to negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you, which I obviously love as a somewhat introverted, conflict-avoidant person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Rocket Money has over 5 million subscribers and has saved a total of $500 million in 
cancel subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash just break up. That's rocketmoney.com slash just break up. Rocketmoney.com slash just break up. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets, sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Quince has things like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. This past month, I treated myself to a pair of new slippers because I'm in that hashtag mom life era of my life um, in which (laughs) um, I am never not in slippers. And these are 100% Australian shearling lined clog slippers. And I love that they're slip on, but they have those durable rubber outsoles. They're super cushy, super comfortable, but I feel like I can run outside to like take the trash out in them while also like staying warm and active in the house. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right. Our next letter comes from Ruth C who is writing from the void. Hi, Sam and Sierra. I discovered your podcast a few months ago and have been binge listening ever since. I have learned so much already, and now my boyfriend is an avid listener, too. I am 24 years old, she, her, and my boyfriend, Daniel, is 26 years old, he, him. We have been together for almost two years and are planning on getting engaged soon. For both of us, our last relationships before we met each other were very, very abusive in similar ways. For me, my ex was controlling, angry, verbally abusive, and often withheld love and affection as punishment. For Daniel, his ex was a serial cheater and gaslighter. I think our shared past experiences have made our current relationship and our bond stronger and healthier than it would be if we didn't go through those abusive relationships. They made us so much more aware of what good true love is, so when we found that with each other, we knew it was the real deal. Daniel is literally the sweetest man I have ever met and made me believe in love again. We are great communicators. We come from similar upbringings, have shared goals, share the same love languages, and oops, anxious anxious attachment styles. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the reason for my letter. We both deal with crippling separation anxiety when one of us goes on a long drive, plane ride, etc. Anytime we have to be away from each other for an extended period of time and there's a non-zero chance of getting in a freak accident, we can't handle it. For me, I think this comes from a deeper need for control. I've never had a traumatic abandonment in my life, but I've always been the kind of person that would rather do something myself than let someone else help because I crave control. Daniel struggles more with anxiety on a daily basis, whereas I don't, but he can also relate to the control thing. I also had separation anxiety in my past relationship, but for different reasons. Since my ex withheld affection, 
I was in a weird state where I knew he wasn't good for me, but I craved his presence and attention since he wouldn't give it to me all the time. Girl, same. My relationship with... Right? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, a comic tactic of abusers. My current relationship with Daniel is healthy and good, but I'm at the point where I love him so much I'm scared to lose him. I want to spend the rest of my life with him, so being in a situation where I might lose him makes me lose my shit. With Daniel, if we are going to get married and go through life together, I realize that we need to be okay with letting each other go off and do our thing every once in a while. But how do we do that? How do I accept the fact that there are just certain things out of my control and I can't keep Daniel safe in my back pocket all the time? TLDR, my partner and I each have crippling separation anxiety. How do we move past that? All right, Ruth, thank you so much for writing and listening and shout out to your boyfriend, Daniel, for being a listener as well. Um, I don't think we have ever talked about separation anxiety. Do you? I don't think so. I think we've talked about like, you know, anxious attachment styles and the manifestations of said attachment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, and I think we've talked about like long distance relationships right. and sort of like the, the separation that can happen there. But this is like a very specific situation yeah. where it's like, oh, you can't even go on long car rides without sort right, of feeling right. that Triggering level of anxiety. Sort of, yes, totally. Right. Um, and I want to say that uh, I think that this experience is c- common, maybe not universal, but I do know that this is a manifestation of that that shared an- anxious attachment style, like you said. Um, and... I'm not sure that if this is how my anxiety has manifested. However, I'm sure it would it or or has historically if I was with a, a avoidant attachment style or like an abusive sure. ex like Ruth writes yep. in, in her letter like I could see how my anxious attachment style would be um really triggered to manifest this separation anxiety Uh, i think Mm -hmm. the closest i can come to like relating to it is the feeling of when you're in a really toxic relationship and when you're apart you have to just sort of deal with that discomfort of like knowing this person is treating you poorly knowing um not having the affirmation of their presence to to Mm -hmm. settle that anxiety you know for sure um and i think I think where I don't relate, but, but not in a, not in a negative way, but like this, the manifestation of Ruth's anxiety and her partner's anxiety, that something bad is going to happen to them. Whereas like Mm -hmm. before, I think my my anxiety would be triggered that like my partner doesn't love me or that they're going to meet somebody else. But, but I think we're, I want to, I want to explicitly note that because, um, while that's not a manifestation of anxiety that I relate to, I think it's real that a, a lot of people with, um, whether it's OCD, like compulsive thoughts or mm-hmm. anxiety or or whatever, whatever we're dealing with today, um, deal with these this this catastrophizing of what could mm-hmm. happen, this the fantasy of the worst, the worst things happening. And that really can um, freeze us as people, freeze us emotionally, physically. We don't know how to move forward because we're so afraid, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, this is going to be super interesting because I actually relate to this type of anxiety wow. more than... <laughs> I was going to ask you straight up. I was like, do you, are you, do you relate to this? But in the back of my mind, I was like, no. 
<laughs> but is this? I do. Tell me. Yeah. Yeah. No, because I, um, you know, growing up, my dad used to leave our house whenever he would get upset. Um, mm. and we would, and would be completely out of contact with us for extended periods of time. Sometimes it would be like a couple hours. Sometimes it would be like overnight. Like, mm-hmm. and so being away from someone who is particularly someone who's like in an emotional crisis yeah, and not being able to contact them, like you said, like going on a plane ride or going on like a long car ride does trigger anxiety wow. for me because I'm afraid of. Because in my head, I'm reading it as like, this person is going to disappear or hurt themselves or hurt mm. other people. And I'm also like a person who does have like anxious thoughts about like car accidents and mm-hmm. like all of that good stuff. Like it's if I text, you know, if Peter is gone for an extended period of time, like this weekend, he's visiting his family um, and he doesn't text me back. I get like, I I get anxious. Like, wow. yeah, <laughs> I, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel that anxiety. It's not, I think, crippling to me, right? Because it's like, I have to remember, like, I learned this from my dad. Right. And Peter is fine. Peter, Peter communicates with me in ways that my dad didn't. And Peter, right. like, tells me when he's upset in ways that my dad didn't. And, um, and like, nine, 99,000 times out of, out of 99,001. I don't know why I went that way. Um, <laughs> times like <laughs> uh it's because he didn't he's driving and he's not right. checking his phone totally. that he's not responding right mm-hmm. absolutely and i have to also remind myself too that if peter is in a car accident there's still nothing i can do about it even yes. if i know it's happening yes right totally like i have to sit back and i have to sit in my like in my awareness of my brain right and like like talk to my brain and say like I can't control what is happening right now to Peter on the road. I can't. Isn't it and wild? Even if I knew what was happening, I couldn't control it. Isn't it so, wild that so often what helps our anxiety is what our anxiety fears? <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like our anxiety yeah. just wants control. It wants clarity. And we're like, okay, so you have no control and here's some clarity. And the, and the anxiety's mm-hmm. like, well, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, well, yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. All right, fine. Yeah. Uh, no, I... It's it is wild how that happens, but it is like it's one of those situations where like I have to be the parent to myself. I have to mm. be like the the kind, warm caregiver to say like I know you're feeling anxious, and also, and also there's not a lot we can do about that, right? And yeah, and I know that that's and so like where can we put our energy? Like what can we be doing? And I have to like see myself in ways that I wasn't seen as a child because yeah. of wow the ways in which my dad continued to like leave every time he got upset. Wow. And also, when you were talking, um, it, one, helped me know and understand you more intimately, as this entire podcast has done for me over the last two years. Um, <laughs> it's just a ploy to get closer to Sam, this whole thing. <laughs> what if we had no listeners and every person that DM'd me from a different account was actually you? Yeah. <laughs> I've done you had worse. just created like hundreds <laughs> of accounts to create this narrative. Yeah, 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 yeah. So whose like the turn whole is thing it to is have like, like a narcissistic flag. fantasy? <laughs> like, anyway, what I was going like to say Truman is, show. yeah, <laughs> yes, you are in your own Truman Show, and it's called the podcast. Okay, what I was going to say though is the. What's wild too is like better understanding your anxiety and where your anxiety comes from is cloning you 
and having two of you sitting in a room and saying, one of them saying, I have to go on this ride. And then both of you saying, oh my God, but what if terrible things happening? I, I think I'm grateful for your insight because it even made me be able to picture this relationship a little bit more tangibly and how truly mm-hmm. um, uh, it can immobilize a partnership. You know, when you when you both have these these fear fantasies, this separation anxiety, um, all of a sudden this is looking, I'm imagining this as a much harder thing to overcome. Not that you can't, Mm -hmm. dear Ruth and Daniel. Um, You can definitely, there's so many concrete steps we can take to start making this relationship more um, sustainable because here's the kicker. You're, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how much um, love and respect that you have for each other, this type of dependency, this type of anxiety, you say it in your letter, Ruth. It, it, it's not sustainable for the long term because mm-hmm. life happens, because yep. you, you know, you, you need to have a life outside of each other. If you plan to have children one day, you know, if you plan to have a, have careers, like you will, your relationship is not going to be able to thrive in this bu- bubble forever. For sure. Yeah, I would say I think that um, exploring some of the the thought patterns that you have, right, either um, with the therapist, if that's something that's available to you, or um, would also recommend looking at Melanie Beattie's book, um, Codependent No More. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily because I think your relationship is like super codependent, right? Like, but I think some of the things that that um, Melanie talks in that book about um, about sort of your own understanding of your relationship and and how your relationship is dependent on each other like and you as a person are dependent on your relationship might help address some of the underlying anxieties that it sounds like you have about um, what do I do if if he, if there's a horrible accident I right. love him so much what am I who am I going to be without him I can't handle this right like might be able to help you sort of break down some of those mindsets to to be a tool for you. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that I would encourage you to think about or talk about with your therapist is like, where did you learn that having control over everything was going to keep you safe? Like, mm. where did that come from? And like, I'll be totally honest that like this revelation about my dad leaving, like has happened in the last like six months with my new therapist, right? Like, I didn't even remember that that was that was what happened until wow. like a few months ago. And now it's like, yeah, of course, if this is my narrative, if this is like my understanding of how people behave, then of course, my I'm going to have anxiety about this. Of course, my wow. response is going to be like really, really nervous when people leave for extended periods of time and are not in contact with me. So like, I do think that there's a lot that our childhoods teach us even if we don't have like a traumatic abandonment right? that, that teach us that um, we have to have control in order to be safe. And we have to have control over everything in order to be safe from anything that could happen. Yeah. And the reality is, is that a, we don't have control over everything. We have control over like actually very little, very little and B, no matter how much control you have, you cannot stop bad things from happening. Yep. You can't like, honestly. And I know that like, I know that that's a weird sense of comfort that like Sierra and I share that like maybe doesn't work for everyone else. <laughs> but it the reality is is like no matter oh God, how much guys, control you hit I the try nail on the head with that one. <laughs> 
no matter how much control I try to exert over the world, I can't keep bad things from happening. And so I'm going to relieve myself of the burden of having to try and control everything. Yes, totally. And I want to think, too, about the the tangible ways that we can. I, I totally agree with Sam. We need to you and your partner and maybe separately, honestly, maybe separately mm. you and your partner need to. Um, look inward either with a trained professional or with resources like books and such um, and try to figure out via journaling or whatever it would be like what triggered this type of um, extreme Mm -hmm. anxiety and this fear of these, of these separation periods and then come back together and talk about them so that you can recognize um, what's, what's real and present in your relationship and what's a, what's a shadow of a trauma from when you were younger. Right. right. Um, yep. and I also want to say, uh, this sounds like a little clinical for something like this, but I mean it so genuinely practice, practice, practice the idea of, you know, when we feel controlled by our emotions and our thoughts, the number one thing we can do is like lean into this discomfort because discomfort is okay and practice, practice, practice feeling the feelings that we're really afraid, afraid of. I'm talking mm-hmm. like, I think you two could, could schedule intentional time apart spent apart. That isn't traumatic, right? I'm talking mm-hmm. like your partner goes to the grocery store alone and you stay at home or you go for a walk and they don't come even if they can, <laughs> even if their schedule is open and they want yeah. to. But, you know, practice spending intentional time apart. That's not traumatic. That doesn't and that doesn't immediately or blaringly trigger this this attachment um, anxiety. So we're not talking yep. long periods where, you know, let's say 20 minutes at first and then 40 minutes and then an hour or whatever. Um and you designate these set times and you all, you make a communication plan. Like, I don't want you mm-hmm. to go for a 20 minute walk and text them the whole time. Yeah. But, right. <laughs> but you could start in the beginning. You can say, okay, I'm going to walk a mile. Um, and then I'm going to text you that I'm on my way home or something, you know, like it, give yourself baby steps, give yourself a small like training plan about how to do this. Um, but also be flexible, like Sam mm-hmm. and I said earlier, life happens. And sometimes, like, you know, if your partner has to go on a plane trip to for work or a long car ride or something, make a communication plan. But you're also going to have to be a little flexible with that communication plan because that communication right. plan, even if you set it up in advance, can't save you from a bad thing happening or can't save mm-hmm. you from life happening. Maybe your partner's cell phone dies or he's in a tunnel and he can't text you. Um, we can't put all of our eggs in the in the in having a plan basket because <laughs> yeah, because plans yeah. ain't shit. <laughs> that's no, that's real. Um, I love that, and I think the the like practice of doing it over and over again is really helpful. And also, like when you're back together, take stock of the fact that nothing happened, right? Like, yeah, I think sometimes our anxious brains make us focus on like the one time that that bad thing did happen, mm-hmm. or the one time that they were like in an accident and we didn't know it was happening but and like tunes out all of the other times when it was like nothing happened and so like so focus on it like went for that 40 minute walk and then they came back and it was like oh yeah nothing happened and separation ends i think that's like a pretty mantra Mm -hmm. you know i think i like thinking about 
Um, even on the days that Willow and I are like out of sync with each other or, or mm-hmm. she's physically away from me. I always, I feel comfort in knowing that like we, we always come back together. We, re- we resolve easily and we also return to the same house. You know, we, we mm-hmm. sleep in the same bed. And so that can be a part of your, your growth mantra is that separation ends. Um, but we're always in each other's hearts and, and this growth, this this uncom- this discomfort that you're feeling at the thought of facing the separation, it's good growth. This is where change and growth happens when we feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable, when we feel challenged. And it sounds like to me, you two have a really good foundation um, that just needs to be challenged a little. That just needs to be pushed into mm-hmm. this new chapter of growth. Um, yep. And this is coming from somebody who's like who has been proudly codependent in her past relationships <laughs> you know who who likes going to the grocery store with my partner even if um it's just for 20 minutes and we've been together all the day all day you know mm-hmm. um i would add on to like the reading list um a lot of people have been dming us for this title and and the author so it, it doesn't hurt to reiterate it mm-hmm. um it's called Attached, the New Science of Adult Attachment and How It Can Help You Find and Keep Love by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. Um, if you haven't checked it out, I think similarly to Sam's suggestion about Codependent No More, uh, Attached really helped me understand the ways in which I didn't know my anxious attachment style manifested and yeah. and sometimes the reasons behind it. and. Mm-hmm. You know, knowledge is power, and the more we can articulate our, about ourselves and our desires and our triggers, the 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 more empowered we are. So, um, I would check out that sure. book as well. And I, what I love about that book is that it it doesn't pathologize anxious attachment styles, right? Like right. it is, you're not a condition you're living with. It is like it is an attachment style. It is like a legitimate attachment style. Yes. And so, like knowing that and embracing that and saying like, wow, I I have a tendency to get anxious about these types of things instead of saying like, wow, I'm a horrible person because I do that and I shouldn't be doing that. Instead saying, okay, so what are the tools I need to bring to to make sure that I can address this and I can feel safe and comforted, right? So one of the things that Peter and I do is that like we both have iPhones and we share our find my iPhone stuff so that I can easily just like pull that up and be like, oh, nope, Peter's still at school. Cool. I'm good. I'm glad to hear that. Right. Which yeah. is like, to be clear, takes a lot of trust and like, <laughs> right. Because like, yeah. I'm not policing where he's going. I'm not like keeping tabs because I think he's lying to me. Right. Like it is about me just like checking in to be like, to assuage my own anxiety. And we have both consented to this and we both feel comfortable with it. Right. Like, no, just want to make that clear because well, like, we don't want that to be like a, a triggering thing. I think you you and I could fucking totally check in about this and talk for 20 minutes because as an anxiously attached person, I never want to give myself that much power. <laughs> like, at, you know, I relate to our letter writer in that the lies that we tell ourselves that if you have control, if you do it yourself, nothing sure. bad will happen. Um, I think similarly... I I don't know if having my partner's location would would be a truly helpful helpful thing or a mm. crutch for my anxiety to instead of dealing with my discomfort, you know, because that's a big thing. Granted, I'm way harder on us anxiously attachment attached people than you are. You are, yes. <laughs> yes. And well, <laughs> it it helps me to remember that like 
that I just like you said, the book, like I this is not a flaw of my character and instead just just who I am, how I am attached. Um mm-hmm. but I I would hesitate at that because I feel like it's my duty as an anxiously attached person to challenge my own discomfort and my coping mechanisms for that discomfort. Cause my coping mechanisms mm-hmm. for the discomfort are to freak the fuck out <laughs> and need, and need everything to be comforted and need, 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 you know, but that being said, I know I'm that that is my personal thing that I'm trying to get over and that it's nothing, it's not wrong for me to want my anxiety to be right. calmed, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure I would give myself that. And that your anxiety is not going to be calmed by being hard on yourself, right? Like right. your anxiety is not going to be calmed by being like, oh, God, I, I just did this thing. I'm a horrible person, right? right? And, it's, and it's okay for your anxiety to be calmed by the comfort of your yeah. partner. Like We could do a whole a episode on that idea because, <laughs> yeah, right? like, because I go back and forth on it. Because, and, 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 and you call me out on it, too, because in this scenario, I think for the, for the long-term growth and sustainability of this relationship, I'm not sure if being able to scratch that itch or comfort that anxiety all the time with something like an iPhone tracker um, Mm -hmm. would contribute to that long-term growth, right? That being said, myself and our letter writer and all of you out there like I'm talking specifically to myself that I have a right to act. I'm, I'm like rolling my eyes and talking to myself at the same time. I'm simultaneously like schooling myself and ignoring myself. Um, but that I and you, we all have a right to feel better, to to have our anxiety comforted and nurtured. I love what you said earlier that you had to parent yourself. Um, and I think that if, I was being a little more gentle on myself. I would say you can have access to this comfort um, because you deserve it. But like, yeah, I think it's probably it's like it's both and right. Like, are you using their location to confirm the anxiety? Yes. Right. Or are you using their location to say, I know that I'm feeling anxious about this, so I'm going to check this and then it'll it will be an affirmation of the fact that everything's okay, Right. Like, I think. I think it's like a both and thing because we're not going to, we're not going to like, you're not going to change your attachment style by pretending like, or by like denying yourself (laughs) the things that bring you comfort in that attachment. But I'm going to (laughs) try. That would be like an avoidant person, like being like, oh, I'm never going to take time for myself because I know I'm avoidant, which is like just going to make them more awful to be around. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Full transparency here. This is something I'm working through. Um, mm-hmm. And I loved that Sam brought up the tracking app because immediately I was like, nope, can never, never want to give. It's like this. It's like the fucking ring giving it straight to Sauron. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and meanwhile, For my me, little, I, like, coping, I think it's great. My new coping tools <laughs> are like Sam and Frodo climbing up the hill being like, no, we got to we got to throw away the tracking p- the app. You're like, instead of giving the ring to Sauron, I'm just going to give it to Gollum. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's like a middle here. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just break up and like my new attachment tools are trying to throw it in Mordor. <laughs> this is, talk about isolating our fucking listeners. <laughs> yeah, right. We've gone too far. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm, uh, 
accountability moment. I'm I'm totally learning how to deal with my own anxious attachment style. So forgive me if any of that was total bullshit. But no, Ruth and I think Daniel, it's real. um, I think Sam and I gave you lots of little morsels that you can chew on and decide how you want to best apply that in your relationship moving forward. We believe in you. We believe in you leaning into this discomfort and kind of learning where this discomfort's origin story is and and how you can better serve yourself, better comfort these needs in more sustainable, long-lasting ways. Mm. And we love you. Thank you so much for writing. All right. Our last letter is from a victim of long distance who is writing to us from The Void. Good evening, Sam and Sierra. I'm new here, so please forgive me. I started listening to your podcast a month ago, and I'm hooked. I'm currently up to episode 50 and will likely be caught up by the time you read this. I haven't Googled around, but I'm assuming your podcast is wildly popular by now. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, it's just me, myself, and I writing into (laughs) Sam. (laughs) I love it. I'm a 24-year-old in a long-distance relationship, really long. I'm talking 5,000 miles long. We started dating at the end of 2019, and although I love this woman dearly and definitely want to be together in the long run, and we have an achievable plan to accomplish that, we've had a number of issues with communication. She's told me in the past that she feels unheard, that I don't listen to her when she really opens up to me about how she's feeling. The reason for this is when she starts to tell me about how she feels, my instinct is to assure her that the negative feelings she has about herself aren't justified. But she takes it as though I'm invalidating how she feels. She says that she would prefer it if I would just acknowledge her feelings and didn't say anything back or turn it into a discussion. The problem is, this is a difficult thing for me to do. I know she has some pretty negative feelings about herself that we both agreed to work on. And in my mind, just acknowledging those things she feels about herself makes me complicit in whatever outcome that results in. In the past, it has led to self-harm or suicide attempts before we knew each other. Recently, this led to a large argument between the two of us that led to her admitting that she simply doesn't trust me enough to open up to me about her feelings anymore. This broke my heart because to me, that is a foundational piece of a relationship. She claims that it's not foundational in her mind and that there are other things that are keeping her with me. Although we ended up agreeing on a plan to solve this, not turning her feelings into a discussion or invalidating them, I was left feeling alone, as if it was entirely up to me to change my well-intentioned behavior to gain back her trust. I'm left wondering if it's even something I should be changing, or if it's something that would be considered a deal-breaker. My question to you two is, do you think that I should even be trying to regain her trust? Is that something anyone in a relationship should have to do? Or do you think that this is a point of no return and we should just try to find people who better fit the way we prefer to be communicated with and comforted? Right now, I'm ready and willing to put in the work because I'm so committed to to making things work between us that I'm afraid I'm not thinking rationally. Please help. LOL. Thanks for reading, E. Oh, thanks so much for writing, E. Uh, I love this letter. I don't know about you. (laughs) (laughs) But I love it for a very particular reason. I just in terms of like the snapshots of humanity that we get in our letters um, in this letter, E writes how he was heartbroken that his partner said that she didn't trust him enough to be open with her. 
And he was heartbroken because that is like a foundational piece of a relationship to him, direct quote out of the thing. And that she felt like Mm -hmm. it wasn't foundational. And why I like this is because it's a perfect example about of of two humans with totally different realities and understanding of realities trying to mash their realities together. Um, And it just it's just a perfect. uh, What's the science word when you like take a little splice of something? Science, you know, what is it <laughs> yeah, called? The science you know word for that, about? like a microcosm. Sure, no, but like a <laughs> slice of it, you know. All right, well, this is where the episode trails off. Apparently, <laughs> anyway, it's I like have a, no idea what you're talking like about. A, it's like a sample of tissue that you look at through a microscope. You know, like a sure. cross section, like a whatever. Yeah, keep doing that with your hands. It's it's really making. <laughs> okay. Um. Anyway, it's a perfect little example of. Of the incompatibilities of those of of humanity, really. So mm. I guess I'll open because I loved that moment and just say to our letter writer E that I agree with you. I think trust is a foundational piece of a relationship. However, I would push back against or empower you to look a little bit differently at the way you two are using trust in this scenario. I and I could be totally wrong, but the way I read this is your partner doesn't distrust you. Is that a word? Distrust? Your partner mm-hmm. doesn't have no trust for you. It is that in it when it comes to the the facet of your relationship about sharing, she feels unheard and unvalidated. Mm-hmm. And so she yep. She might have used the word like that the word trust might be real to her, but in this scenario I would I would say, you know, like I could replace that word and say she fears she feels wary of bringing these intimate thoughts to you. She feels like you've proven that she doesn't feel safe afterwards, not that you are unsafe. But the way that you view trust as a foundational piece of a relationship, the equation doesn't equal. You guys aren't talking about Mm -hmm. the same thing. I'm guessing. Right. right? Mm -hmm. I think that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and I also think in the conversations that you're having that are that are causing this conflict to come up, you are also, again, having conversations about two different things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And I and I also really like this letter because um, I am also like a really rational person, um, E, which I can tell that you are right, because like you even ask at the end of your letter, like you're afraid that you're not thinking rationally. And I think you're thinking really rationally, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like I think you're thinking about this in a very logical, sort of straightforward way. And I absolutely identify with that. I am a very sort of logical, rational person as yeah. well. Um, and I'll say this too, what I struggle with sometimes too, when like, when people I love are saying, are talking about how it feels to be down on yourself, right? And saying things, you know, like, oh, I feel so unattractive or oh, I feel so stupid. My response in my head is to always argue the facts on the ground and right. say, you're not stupid. Here's seven reasons why you're not stupid. Or you're not unattractive. Here's seven reasons why you are attractive. When that's not what the person is talking about, right? The person is talking about how they're feeling in that moment. They're not talking about whether or not they are objectively attractive or whether they are objectively smart. They're talking about their feelings and how they feel. 
And it's hard because my, like the way that I comfort myself in those types of moments when I'm feeling like really down on myself is to go to that rational place and say, um, I know you're feeling stupid, Sam, but you're not stupid because of all of these different things that you've done and that, that are really cool about you. Right. Or you're not stupid because, uh, this was just a misinterpretation and like, blah, 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 blah. Right. Like calmly and rationally thinking through it to get to a point where I feel comforted. But it's important for us super rational folks to remember that like not everyone processes in that way. And so Mm. what I think is happening here is that your your partner is sharing with you and saying, I feel this way. And what you're saying is, I know that's not true. The thing that you are like the rational thing you're thinking about. But the way that she's hearing that is, I think your feelings aren't true. I think that your feelings aren't happening. You're arguing with me about how I'm feeling and I know how I'm feeling. I don't need to argue about that, right? And so one of the things that I've had to do, and I offer this advice to you, is to pause in those moments and and recognize like it's hard to do because like immediately whenever anyone is like, oh, I feel so stupid or I feel really ugly or whatever it is, my immediate reaction is always to be like, no, 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 no. That's not true though. Like here's all right. of these awesome things about you is to instead stop and say instead, oh, I am so sorry that that's the way you're feeling. I'm so or, sorry you're oh, feeling that way. I know that, that that it's really hard to feel that way, right? Not to say like, oh, I know how hard it is to be ugly, which might be how your brain is interpreting it as you're saying it, right? Because that's not what you're saying, though. You are saying it must be hard to feel this way in this moment. Because that's, I think... At the brass tacks, that is where this dysfunction is coming from between you and your partner is that you're just talking about different things. You're talking about facts on the ground, and she is talking about how she's feeling in this moment. And if you can if you can find a way to talk instead about instead of about the facts, instead about her feelings, it might actually help you to be able to to make her feel more seen and understood by you. Yeah, and I'm going to jump on that and give you some more language that I stole from the internet somewhere. But there's oh, like awesome. a, Yeah, there's like a meme going around or a tweet or something about how a dynamic shifted in a relationship when somebody started to learn they learned the phrase, "Do you want a solution or do you want comfort?" Um, mm-hmm. I've no idea where I heard that from, but I have utilized it in my relationship, because, um, you know, I am also the exact opposite of Sam. <laughs> I'm incredibly <laughs> emotional um, and I am incredibly uh, emotion driven, you know, like sometimes I, uh, I swear to God, like my sixth love language is just being heard to be mm-hmm. to feel heard. And, you know, we can talk about where that comes from in my childhood, <laughs> another yeah. episode. But um so my wife, who is a very practical, logic-minded, and also a doer, you know, she she wants mm-hmm. to make me feel better. We have had to learn to say, like, do you want to problem-solve this or do you want me to just listen? You know, because listening goes a really f- far away for us emotionally-driven people. Right. Honestly, like, sometimes, so, like, the feeling ugly example, like, I know that if I say I feel ugly, my wife's first response would be like, no, you're beautiful. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and that ne- doesn't necessarily comfort the wound that I'm talking about. I'm not, com- mm. I'm not, I don't, you can't comfort my wound by coming at me with facts. 
but you can make me feel comfortable. You can make me feel comforted. You can make me feel heard, seen, held. Um, because a lot of times us emotionally minded people have the tools to work through the shit by ourselves. It just gets mm -hmm. really tiring and painful. You know, like we've had to deal with these thoughts or, 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 or negative self-talk or whatever for, for a long time. And we mostly, we just want to feel heard and seen and loved um, and not necessarily corrected. That being said, I also want to echo some of Sam's sentiments, which is like, sometimes that just, this doesn't make sense. Like as the, as an emotional caretaker, as a partner, as a friend, sometimes it's fucking hard to just sit by and watch somebody really hurt or hate on themselves. Um, mm -hmm. So I just, I didn't really want to like validate that part of your experience, but this conflict that you're having with your partner is such a common conflict, I think, because of our differing realities comes with different coping mechanisms, different solutions, different desires mm -hmm. when we're feeling stressed. And it's very obvious to Sam and I in this scenario that your partner, um, you and your partner could really benefit from, you know, like she comes to you, she's feeling upset and you say, OK, do we want to problem solve this? Do you want a solution or do you just want to be heard? Um, because I, I hear you and I love you and I can tell what you're feeling is really painful or, or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, yep. I do want to say though, when, you know, I think that this, this dissonance is, or this conflict in your relationship has brought up some questions that you're having. Like, am I, am I changing who I am? Am I doing all the labor to see, suit my partner's needs? And I think all those questions are really valid. And I do want to um, say that communication is a two-way street and that the, the, one, the one nod that I would, the one way I would nod to your partner is that communication is always a two-way street. And in that way, your partner does need to understand that you will never love her or listen to her or validate her perfectly. It is impossible to love someone sure. perfectly. You know, so yep. I would encourage you to approach your partner with a script, something like this, you know, honey, I love you. I'm committed to our relationship as we've talked about, as our plans show. I've thought a lot about what you shared with me the other day about feeling like you couldn't trust me with your intimate thoughts. And I'd really like to work on that with you. And I'd really like to regrow our capacity to be open with one another. And yeah. I want you to know that, you know, these are the tools that I've learned from just break up the best podcast in the world. <laughs> um, and that I'm committed to listening to you. I'm committed to making you feel heard and seen. I'm committed to not trying to solve your problems, but instead bear witness to you. I hope you can meet me here. I, I hope you can meet me here knowing that I'm doing the best that I can and I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm really trying to learn how I'm really trying to adapt my coping mechanisms to your coping, to your response, your responses. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Um, I want, I, I'm going to need you to meet me there in the middle because I can't, I can't do this by myself, but I need you to know I'm committed to doing it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think that that that's a great script and I, um, and I would say that like you 
changing the way that you communicate with your partner isn't you abandoning yourself, right? It is about you sort of finding a way to help support your partner who you love dearly in the way that that they need to be supported, right? And and so I know that 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 can be like a challenging line to sort of figure out of like how much am I compromising, but I do think that there that all so much of relationships is is about um translation is about mm. trying to figure out how I can how I can show the love that I have for you and how I can support and care for you in a way that works well for you because the way that I'm doing it doesn't necessarily work and that's okay it's it is okay for us to sort of shift like intentionally shift the way that we interact with our partners in order to meet them and meet their needs in a healthy way um and so I want to just like encourage you to think about it less as a I'm changing who I am and more of a I'm practicing speaking a different language or I'm that. practicing shifting my behavior because you're still always going to be a super rational person. And when when you're down on yourself, you're going to need people to talk to you to say you're not ugly because of this reason, this reason and this right. reason. You're just changing the way that you talk to your partner so that she can hear the love that you're trying to tell her. I love that. I think that is so astute and really summarizes everything that I was feeling because Mm -hmm. there is that inner conflict of like, but this way suits me. Am I abandoning me? No, not necessarily. Like there are scenarios in which we abandon ourselves in relationships. And then there's other scenarios that look very similar in which we are (laughs) learning new ways that we are learning new ways to connect, to communicate, to love, to support, et cetera. For sure. And I think that one of the difference there is, is that it's a recognition that there there's validity in both ways, right? Mm, like, it's not that wow, my way is I the wrong that. way, and mm-hmm. so I'm going to abandon it. It's that, oh, my way is right, her way is right, and I'm going to figure out how I can speak to her and support her in a way that she can hear and she can feel. And that's great. That's what we should all be doing in relationships. Um, and it it we should also be asking of that from our partners, too, right? Yes. Like, that we are doing exactly what Sierra said, of talking of like both sort of practicing that shifting to to support each other. And that's like what healthy relationships are. It becomes really unhealthy when there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to yes, do it. Yes, totally. And I don't get that from this letter, but something for sure to keep keep in mind as well. Yeah, totally. All right, E, we wish you all the luck and we thank you so much for listening and writing in. Absolutely. We love you. All right, this brings us to the blind date segment of the episode. Every show, we want to set you up with something that we love. This week, we're going to send you home with a book uh, called Homegoing by Ya Jossi. Um, this came out a couple years ago. It was on a bunch of like the, the mm-hmm. lists of like the best book of, I think, like 2019, maybe. Um, it's a fantastic book. It's fantastically written. Um, it is about two have sisters in Ghana um, who don't know of each other. And one of them is um, captured and enslaved and taken to the United States. And the other one remains in Ghana. And it follows like eight generations of their children um, and their experiences as as uh, people in Ghana and as people in the United States. And it's um, super well written. I talked about this on the Patreon episode with uh, where Big Cats interviewed me. Um, but I I just read it. It's it's one of those books that has like each chapter is their own person. And then like you don't really see that person. And 
to be clear, I usually hate those books because I'm like, <laughs> you just rely on tropes to like make me feel a thing. And then I never like there's I'm so <laughs> into character development that like when I'm like, yeah, OK, so this person is the person that has cancer. Got it. OK. Yeah. Right. Like, but it's it's so much more nuanced and so much more well done than those books tend to be mm. um, that I I just like fell in love with it. It is. um it's just a great read. Um, all of the people that you meet in it are just like interesting and fascinating. And um, I appreciate the the perspective both of, um, you know, a person who was enslaved and brought to America and then sort of the person that remained in Ghana and the ways in which their lives are similar and different and the ways in which they're connected. So I uh, really appreciated that. Again, it's called Homegoing by Ya Jassi. That's great. Can't wait to read it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes. But most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Please remember to click that follow button so that you will get a new episode every Monday exclusively on Spotify and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode as well as access to our back catalog of episodes. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers to give them relationship advice. Original music, recording, editing, producing, all magical things by the best and most infamous Big Cats, a.k.a. Spencer. Make sure to check out his podcast, The What If Podcast. And remember, this is our first time doing this as humans. It may be our first time being in love, our first time with our heart broken, our first time processing grief. And we get to practice just like a skill or a sport or learning a new language. Practice makes the unfamiliar familiar, the uncomfortable comfortable, and the impossible feel possible. You get to practice becoming the person you want to be. And if all else fails, just break up.